Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. This is Julie Henrik, this Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I wanted to pop in here for a quick reminder that from June 1st through July 31st, our Pride Award submissions are open. The Pride Award is for emerging LBGTQIA plus authors who write in the crime genre. Information is on sistersincrime.org's website and also in the show notes for this episode. Please spread the word. Let anyone know you don't have to be a Sisters in Crime member to submit your materials. Uh, And we're really looking forward to supporting new voices in the crime writing field and new LBGTQIA plus voices. So June 1st through July 31st, check it out on sistersincrime.org. It's not for members only. Thanks so much. Hi, this is Julie Henricus, the Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am thrilled to welcome Elle Marr to the podcast today. Elle is the number one Amazon Charts bestselling author of thrillers. Her latest book, The Family Bones, earned a starred review from Publishers Weekly, which called it a mesmerizing psychological thriller. Originally from Sacramento, Elle graduated from UC San Diego before moving to France, where she earned a master's degree from the Sorbonne University in Paris. She now lives and writes in Oregon with her family. Elle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being on. Thank you for having me, Julie. I'm excited to chat. Well, I look forward to talking about so many things, but let's start where I always start um, and ask you, when did you say to yourself, I want to be a writer? Oh, um, I think I think like so many of us, I was probably, I was very good, very young, probably around nine years old. And it was uh, several years after I had fell in love with reading. Uh, and at that point, at the ripe age of nine, I thought, could I write something? Could I write something that someone might want to read? Very precocious, of course. Um, and I, I started writing in my little diary from there and sometimes made up stories, but mostly just accounts of my day <laughs> playing with my sister and my cat. <laughs> well, and I, so I think that that's, a, um, I don't think that's precocious. I think it's great to to start writing, but how did you sort of come to, let me try and write a novel? It's uh, it's very closely aligned with that nine-year-old epiphany. I am um, <laughs> at the time, and I'll be dating myself here. Um, I my family was on the pre AOL platform Prodigy, um, which was truly like the the precursor to the massive explosion of America Online. And on Prodigy, there were these online writing forums for adults uh, where people were just kind of world building together and submitting one chapter at a time and posting to internet um, bulletin boards. Uh, and I, I sneaked on there as a nine-year-old <laughs> and submitted several chapters and uh, wow. and thought, oh, I can fake this pretty well. No one seems to know that I'm under double digits. Uh, <laughs> and um, and from there, I was just tickled with the idea that, again, people would read my stuff and I would get feedback. 
at nine on Prodigy. I mean, you, you may be dating yourself a little bit, but I also find that fascinating that you were um, that driven to to sort of say, let me let me do this. That's brave. It's very strange, like in hindsight as an adult, <laughs> very, very strange. Um, but I and I have I have second guessed myself and gone back through the years like, was I actually that young? And truly, because we got AOL, um, I think the year or year two after. So it would have been and I'm positive it was on Prodigy. It would have been when I was nine, maybe ten. Wow. So it was um it was it's very strange to think about now. What an oddball child. And also <laughs> I was proud of myself. I am proud of myself that I was able to you know, write, I don't know, probably 500 words at the time and, and create a little story. I wish I still had it. It's lost to the, the internet black hole, the pre-internet black hole. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I obviously remember those days very well. I was not nine. I was quite a bit <laughs> older, but it was, I don't think people understand what the, you know, the second phase of the World Wide Web, what, what we had beforehand and how, what you had to do to even talk to people, but how great that could be. Yes, absolutely. So you're writing short stories at nine. How did you move into and build your craft for writing novels. And was it, let's start here. Was it always crime? Were those crime novels? <laughs> um, my short stories were not crime novels when I was a child, but I um, I actually put that idea on hold. I was overwhelmed with the idea at, um, you know, around double digits, around 10 years old, um, that I could personally never write a novel. I was reading chapter books at the time. Um, I could never write a novel. And then when I got into uh, reading Stephen King around age 11, I said, I could definitely never write that. <laughs> That's beyond my skill set as an 11 year old um, and truly probably today. But uh, I, I thought, well, that's not for me then. I probably will never be allowed to by the great powers that be, whomever they are, to write a novel of my own. And so I, I kind of put the idea out of my head, but just continued to be a very avid reader and then it wasn't until um, a good many years later, I was living in France, teaching English at the local university there, Snowden, and uh, decided I would give NaNoWriMo a shot, National Novel Writing Month. And so I wrote my first novel during NaNoWriMo in 2012. And was that a thriller? That was a romantic, it was a romantic suspense. Uh, and then... Once I started shopping it around immediately, because that's what an, a very eager, uh, uninformed uh, writer would do. Uh, once I started shopping it around immediately, I realized the part that I enjoyed most was the suspense. And so I eventually tabled that manuscript and just started writing thriller suspense instead. Well, that first novel teaches you how to write a novel. So for most of us, that does end up either really changed over time or in in a draw. Um, but you need to learn how to write a book. And so did you take classes as well? Or how did you sort of keep working on the the, the craft of writing thrillers, which is a very specific um, and challenging thing to write? Absolutely. I, <clears throat> I uh, going back to believing that I wasn't allowed to write novels, I didn't have the uh, background for it or the training for it. Um, truly, I didn't. I uh, I just continued to read. I never took um, a formal writing class in college. I, I, I did um, read a lot and widely. 
Um, and I didn't pursue an MFA, although I heard what great advantages that could offer writers. Um, so it really was just through telling myself a story, revising it, um, you know, to infinity and back to your point, uh, through learning, uh, through re- revising that manuscript, I learned how to write and how I wanted to write, how I wanted my voice to come across. And then I read a few books like Save the Cat Writes a Novel. Um, and, uh, Actually, going back to Stephen King, his memoir on writing was yeah. also very influential and encouraging to me about, um, uh, you know, the craft of writing and how to um, continue pushing an idea or a story until it's ready or to shelve it and the ways in which to see whether or not to tell whether or not that is the case, whether it should be shelved or it's ready to be shared with others. Yeah, I will add both of those um, books to the show notes for this episode so that folks can um, can can know about them. They're both really helpful books and craft books are I don't know about you, but I continue to read them just to see if there's something new. <laughs> you absolutely. Know? Yeah. 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 Um, and absolutely. I, I agree with that. I'm going to go back to Stephen King at 11. <laughs> <laughs> that's um that's some pretty um incredible reading for an 11 year old <laughs> um to be perfectly transparent it wasn't technically stephen king it was his alter ego richard oh goodness i'm blanking on him right now it was not given to me as a Stephen King book. It was actually referred to me by another 11-year-old, another um, very avid reader in my class, my sixth grade class. Um, and he said to me, this is, this is an intense book. You might want to, you might enjoy it. It's a really well-written book. You know, 11-year-olds as they discuss literature. Um, <laughs> and I said, well, I'll give it a shot. And um, I was horrified, of course. It's, um, the book is The Regulators. And uh, it was, I think, the first book written by Stephen King's alter ego, Richard. And in the back of the book, it says that this author, um, this book was published um, posthumously in that it was found in this author's attic, never published. Um, And sadly, this author has passed on, and so we'll never get to see his additional works. Um, So it was very much strictly, that was my understanding of it at the time. And it wasn't until years later that I discovered this is actually Stephen King's um, alter ego. And of course, Stephen King is very much alive and prolific. Um, and so I thought that makes sense. That was a very scary book. (laughs) I understand that it was actually written by Stephen King. That makes a lot of sense. Um, but it was, it was a story that absolutely captivated me again, during our reading time in class, (laughs) um, under the uh, neon fluorescent bulbs of my, my classroom. (laughs) <laughs> it was a, a trip. Well, and Stephen King and those books are a great framework, certainly on how to write a book, but also how to scare people, how to make people feel. Um, so in writing thrillers, you do the same thing, maybe not with the intensity of, you know. Um, no, I don't write horror. The horror, but but um, thrillers are seated at your pants, you know, you're, the reader knows more and uh, and putting it all together. What what draws you to writing that genre? I'm drawn to writing thrillers because I love reading them, and it's my um, my my um, consistent effort to my goal to write something that people will be compelled 
to follow through 300 pages. Um, truly, as I'm writing it, I'm always viewing it as a reader. I mean, maybe not simultaneously, but I am, I'm always pursuing that goal of, um, am I entertained? Am I compelled? If I were reading this for the first time, would I want to turn the page? And it's, it's my mantra. Do I want to turn the, the page? Will a reader turn the page with every page and chapter that I write? Um, and that is why I both write and love thrillers because um, I've read, I continue to read very, very widely, but I didn't get into thrillers until I was um, obviously, uh, well, maybe not obviously, an adult more consistently. And uh, and I just found myself sucked into these the world that was created um, in these books and wanted to create that same experience for others. So what you are really saying is that you want people not to sleep. You want to you want to cause bags <laughs> under people's eyes because they can't put it down. <laughs> I want to pay it forward. I myself have had plenty of sleepless nights. Yes, I want to pay it forward the sleepless nights. Because <laughs> yeah. that's one of the things that I always find with thrillers. Maybe with a mystery, I could put it down and pick it up. But with thrillers, you just, oh, one more chapter, one more chapter. Oh, what's going it's on? It's so fun. It's yeah. the, the best. I think it's the some of the most fun forms of escapism. And that's truly what we're doing with literature anyway, right? Yes. Yes. All literature. Um, so are you, um, you know, as you've been building an, an amazing career, uh, you know, thrillers weren't always a space that there were a lot of women writing in or or publishing wild, wild, widely, and I suspect that women were always writing thrillers, but um, that's sort of changed in the last few years. Are you finding that, you know, there's there's more space for you to sort of have your own voice and to create thrillers rather than it always being sort of the a specific genre that could be anticipated? Does that make sense? Yes, and I completely agree with that. I think there's more space for uh, women authors and thrillers that revolve around female characters. Um, I think it's that's the you know the advantage of having such a wide market, both with ebooks and with um, publishing, kind of reevaluating its standards or its uh, criteria for p- publishing books, um, and also the power of social media. People, I think, readers once they finish a book that they like, they like to seek out the author and see what that person. Yeah. is like off the page or when they're away from their computer. Um, and I think that changing very dynamic marketplace and environment socially that we have has led itself to a lot more interest and a lot more, um, I guess, uh, a great, a higher threshold for a variety of stories, um, yes. which I think is really great. It's been a lot of fun to discover new authors myself over the last few years, to your point, during this, this explosion. Yeah, it's a very exciting time. Uh, let's let's talk about your process a little bit. You write standalones. I do. To date, to date, um, you know, we could talk about that in a little bit. But um, how do you come up with an idea? Like, what's how do you start? What will you know? As you know, book contracts help certainly <laughs> you know, with the whole yeah. thing. But but how do you sort of say? This is the theme. This is what I want to write about. What What's that process like for you? Yes, uh, I well, I write standalones, and so my husband has asked me several times, "Aren't you Aren't you scared that you're going to run out of ideas? Like, would you want to invest in a series?" And my answer to that is always, "I am, for better or for worse, constantly thinking of new ideas. Whether or not I want to spend 300 pages with them or someone else yeah. might is a different matter. 
But um, I, I think a lot of writers are concerned by that idea of like, what if I run out of ideas? What if I run out of books to publish? And um, certainly I feel that, but so far I haven't, it hasn't come to pass. (laughs) Uh, And I'm just very grateful for that. I do think it's part of this onslaught of content that we have these days, streaming, online, cable, film. Um, There are just so many new shows and films to consume. And that always drives inspiration to me uh, for my next book idea. Or it causes me to look at my existing manuscript and say, the plot point I had chosen here isn't really doing it. It's not really as compelling as it should be. Um, so I just found like this, this constant influx of content fuels inspiration. Um, it's been, it's been fun to discover. I can write more than one book to say that, to say the least. (laughs) And so is there, you know, a, a, a topic or a plot or, you know, what, so my understanding of thrillers is that it's it's a plot driven book. Uh, characters matter, but it's a plot driven. I mean, it's it is the plot. Is do you find that like you'll read about something or somebody doing something, and all of a sudden it just creates the gravitational pull that brings in all the ideas in your head? Um, do you write things down? Do you you know what what causes that gravitational pull for you? Yes. The first point that you made, I will see an idea, I will see a headline, and it will immediately cause me to uh, dwell on it. If it's if it's a headline that uh, that really catches my eye, I will just dwell on it. I will think about it, and if I find myself really mulling over that idea um, for days on end, I know it's a good storyline, and I'll write it down in a, a little notes app that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I'm going to attempt a new book, or I'm talking to my editor about another a new book. Um, I will scroll down my list and see if any of these like, you know, fragmented sentences uh, could be developed into a larger story, a a larger um, thriller story uh, that might fit the bill, that might entice readers. And and I have so many fragments in this notes app. I have so many half-finished ideas and sentences. Um, So they're not all good ideas is what I'm saying. But uh, when I'm scrolling down, if I see one that that hits, I'll I'll know it, and then I can flesh out the idea from there. So it's yeah. really all about headlines and taking notes for me. And do you do write? Uh, do you find that you're more compelled to think about like social issues, or are there science? Like, what's what sort of what intrigues you? What makes you want to spend some time researching or developing? Um, it's. It's a combination of all of that. I, it's funny to think in hindsight and retrospect, I really think I've been preparing to write books my whole life in that I've dabbled across a ton of different subjects. I studied biology for several years in college before I realized that was not for me. That was for <laughs> other people, not for me. And, uh, you know, I lived abroad for three years. I lived in France. I lived, uh, traveled to a great many places in Europe um, and a few places outside of Europe. Um, and I've just been compiling internal notes on experiences, things I've heard from other people, you know, who are specialists in their field. And that altogether fuels what I think is interesting and then what I think I can write well, because I shouldn't be writing everything, right? Like I shouldn't be, I should never 
attempt a hot zone remake. You know, I, I'm not an Ebola expert, um, but there are other things that I can speak from very authentically or experiences that I can research um, more efficiently that, uh, that, that drives my decision-making process. Can I do this well? Can I do this well as Elmar um, versus is this a story someone else should tell? Right. Right. Uh, and what's so interesting is that one of your fragments, like three people could read that fragment and write three completely different books. So it's it's interesting how those ideas come. Do you plot or do you um, come up with the idea and then just start writing? I plot. <laughs> I have to plot. It's the, um, it's the way that I've gotten into a more regimented writing routine by plotting. And also I had the good fortune of having books under contract. And so with the deadline set by someone else, I have to um, break that down into smaller, more manageable deadlines. Um, and that means like at least mapping out the major plot points. The So I, I probably have, let's see, like eight big chapters or ba- eight big things that must happen in each book when I start writing. And then the 32 other chapters are kind of up for grabs those kind of um, develop and reveal themselves as I am researching the characters and researching the events. So that's fascinating. I mean, that's, uh, uh, especially when you're, uh, well, not especially, everybody writes the, the, the right way. I mean, the right way for them. But in thrillers, I do think uh, from the folks in the classes I've been to and and, you know, things I've read, it is the, driving the action and making sure everything's contributing to that that arc i mean everything <laughs> um so that the reader is is there and and knowing what that guideline can be is really uh important yeah absolutely so you have your action your things that are going to happen in the book and then you're you're you know writing around uh you're adding the different elements um are you, you know, do you belabor the first draft? Are you uh, get this draft written so that I can get to the editing? What's your favorite part of, it's all difficult, but what's your favorite part of the process? <laughs> um, my favorite part of writing is it's getting to the point in the end when you're editing a very polished draft. I really love writing. I love the actual act of putting words to paper, but it's, um, I just have, I have to do, I have to have excellent time management skills. I have young children. Yeah. And so I have really have these small pockets of time. And so I'm just hammering out paragraphs, hammering out chapters where I can. And so it's a little bit of, it's not as meandering, not as like um, therapeutic or relaxing as I think it was in the past. Now it's very, it's a little on the stressful side to get good content down. Um, and so I found this with my most recent books that I've been writing. Um, I really love getting to the point of a manuscript where 45 minutes just goes by and you don't realize it. And sometimes that happens when I'm writing, when I'm really in the zone and I understand the characters and what their their desires and wants are, or their, their needs are. Uh, but it's been harder to reach that kind of euphoric writing zone in the act of drafting. More so, I'm seeing it on the tail end, where I've edited this book within an inch of its life, and I can just enjoy it as a reader. Yeah. And that's what I really love. That's where I 
I feel like a sense of pride and accomplishment and I'm able to just read and enjoy it versus it being uh, a labor, if that makes sense. Well, and I think it's such a gift to let people know that you've got to make the time, but it's not always going to be perfect, especially when you have things in your life that are adding you know, um, time management constraints, including children, <laughs> you know, jobs, mm-hmm. life, I mean, other things. I think so sometimes people get stuck thinking I need to have three hours and it has to be perfect and I've got to have the classical music going and a candlelit. And it's like, well, no, you can also do it on your phone <laughs> while you're waiting for school pickup if you need to. Absolutely. I know a few authors who do that and I'm I'm continually impressed by them. That's absolutely an option, right on your phone. Um, And how long does it take you to write a book? I think if I'm taking a leisurely time, probably around three months. And if I am pressed for time, the fastest I've ever written a book, a first draft, a solid first draft that I turned into my editor uh, was nine weeks. And that was a doozy. That was (laughs) an experience. (laughs) Not a lot of sleep, but I'm very happy with how it turned out. So it was worth it. And do you write a book a year or what's your, what's your contract like? My contract is a book a year. I have the unique position this year of writing for two publishers. So it's been two books this year, which was like not recommended (laughs) for anyone with major time constraints, such as a job or um, small children. Uh, But I, I have um, continued to um, write a book for my, previous publisher, Thomas and Mercer. Um, and then I'm also writing a book for Hyperion Avenue, which is a new imprint of Disney publishing. Um, so it's been really surprisingly complimentary because one is a, a psychological thriller, what I write for Thomas and Mercer. And then um, the other is more of a straight thriller um, for Hyperion Avenue. And so they've been really um, totally separate, totally different um, books and themes but really complimentary in that I'm able to look at them each as the author um, and kind of learn things from each manuscript in real time and then apply them to the other manuscript. So it's been wonderful, but uh, difficult. I can only imagine uh, how challenging it is. Uh, But for different publishers, are they just, not just, are they Elmar thrillers or are there different takes or ways of framing it or or you know do you you know what I'm saying it's like if if sometimes people like oh but for this publisher I'm going to write darker or I'm going to write horror or I'm going to add romance and for this uh, you know or are they two different thrillers they both publish next year so um we are in the process I with each publisher uh we're in the process of um deciding on that marketing and that packaging yeah. I think with Thomas and Mercer, this will be my fifth book with them. So it's already kind of an established, it, it's pretty well established that my books with them are psychological thrillers. They're definitely darker. They deal with more emotional um, issues. Um, and Hyperion Avenue is, I think, already being packaged as a lighter fare, mm-hmm. um, but also with the same tight, uh, hopefully page turning themes and plot points that readers will come to expect my other books. Exciting. Congratulations. It's a lot, but it's exciting. Very exciting. Thank you. Well, the writing journey and the publishing journey are so separate. Um, you know, uh, when you start, you, you as a writer, 
you imagine what it's going to be like to be a published author, but it's not often what <laughs> you imagine. What has surprised you most about the publishing journey? Um, you know, it's, I have two answers to that. One is a very, um, I won't say generic, but I think a more commonly felt idea that, you know, there's, there's so little that we can control as writers truly. And we hear this all the time. Truly the only only thing you can control is the writing. Um, and then however well your book, your book does or doesn't do largely lands on the publisher's efforts or the publisher's marketing decisions. Um, and there's a lot, social media has changed that a good deal, but it's, uh, by and large across the industry, it's, it's still the, that role and power rests with the publisher. So that's, I think my, my first answer. And then secondarily, I, my debut published April 1st, 2020. Oh. And so that was very much in the thick of the pandemic lockdown, not remotely what I envisioned as an author or as a writer who had struggled toward this moment for 10 plus years, or maybe all my life, depending on how you look at it. Um, so it was, you know, full of conflicting emotions. I am so grateful with how readers embraced my story, my debut, The Missing Sister. In the middle of 2020, a lot of people were home and just reading, which was um, such a gift to me personally. Uh, and also it was, it was a completely different publishing experience and has been for the, all of my books to date. I've published a book a year in 2020, 2021, 2022, and now 2023. And, uh, you know, now I think publishing has resumed much of its normal cadence, but for the first three books, it was largely virtual and difficult to get people to come out to in-person events or to, travel anywhere for conferences, especially for myself since I have young children. Um, so it was a different experience than what I expected, yeah. both from, I think, a more traditional standpoint of, oh, I don't control as much as I might have hoped. And also from a, a 2020 pandemic perspective of this is not what <laughs> this is not the, uh, the bill of goods that I was sold. <laughs> I did not expect this, nor did anyone, of course. Um, but now we are, I think, kind of finding our way back to uh, what publishing was a few years ago and that experience for authors. And it's been, it's been interesting to see the night and day shift from publishing in 2020. Well, publishing and debuting during the pandemic, especially, you know, two weeks after lockdown, you know, you must have had events that you had to cancel or, you know, the dream of sitting in a bookstore, signing a box of books doesn't happen. Yeah, it hasn't happened yet for me. I've done a few individually, but doing like a massive event hasn't happened for me yet. Um, just due to scheduling, um, just due to scheduling and, and uh, yeah, my family life here. Uh, but you're right. In 2020, I had um, an event scheduled uh, where I live in Oregon. And then I had another event scheduled at the last bookstore in LA and Los Angeles. Um, and no one knew how to do virtual anything at that point. Right. So I was doing a lot of Instagram lives. Um, but truly a lot of, we didn't have the virtual structure that we have now as we're, you know, we're recording this podcast virtually as well. And we're not in person together. Um, so much has changed in how we market books in a, a post or a pandemic world. Um, so it was, 
it was sad to cancel those in-person events. I love bookstores, always have, always will. Yeah. And I wanted to do some library events at t- uh, as well, but that didn't that didn't happen. So it was a it was a roll with the punches kind of thing. Well, you mentioned social media a few times. Uh, being nimble enough to say. I can't do this, so I'm going to figure it out here. And using social media to build an uh, an audience to to reach out or just to to have conversations with readers, um, it seems to be one of your strengths. It seems to be something that you've embraced that some other folks may not have done as successfully during the pandemic. Thank you. I, I certainly hope that I'm able to reach readers uh, through social media. It's such a great muscle to flex if you're comfortable with that. And I have had some luck. I um, I got on TikTok a few years ago and have um, you know, been right there along with so many other authors making silly videos. But I've had some some good traction there. And it's been such a gift to reach out and engage with readers directly. Mm-hmm. Um, and a really fun for me, unforeseen part of, of publishing. I did not think, I think very few people did, did not realize how important social media would become to marketing authors' books um, themselves. So it's been a great learning experience for me. And um, I'm always happy to comment and engage with other people there. Yeah. And it's, uh, social media is interesting because we don't own it, we rent it. And as we're all seeing with, you know, changes that have been taking place in some of the platforms, um, if you build your whole platform on one space, that may be <laughs> sandy at a point, you know, the yes. foundation may go away. Um, well put. But there's no better way to talk to people. I mean, uh, you know, to to engage with people. Obviously, in person is good, but on, on mass, this embracing what it can do uh, is is important and a gift to writers, I think. And it's so funny to think, I've, I've spoken with some other authors who have been publishing for decades now, and they're obviously extremely well-established. And they've shared with me that when the internet and social media first began really um, blossoming, uh, they were expressly told not to have social media accounts, that it uh, kind of cheapened the brand. Mm-hmm. And so for us to evolve as a society to really emphasize so much importance um, and uh, value in social media is a really interesting kind of timeline, interesting journey. Well, and it's it's not a long time that all this has been happening. That's what, you know, you started, you know, 2012, you did your first nano all around the same time that all of this started to blossom, which for some people, you know, may seem like forever, but that's a blink. I mean, not the last 15 years have been extraordinary changes in the world. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a good point. It's so funny. I mean, social media and the internet have just completely accelerated, accelerated everything across the board. Um, But especially how we engage with, with the consumer. It's really interesting. Very interesting. And we're still learning. (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm definitely still learning <laughs> um what's your favorite piece of writing advice to give folks my favorite piece of writing advice to give others is to trust yourself um and i say that in the context of you will have many people tell you your writing is not marketable or maybe good enough 
or uh, it's just not the right time for your idea. If you're writing novels, if you're writing a manuscript of some kind, um, and while there may be truth to each of those critiques, it's important to trust yourself to know that whatever caused you to do a double take at this idea and to spend months or years writing this book um, retains value. And it may might need to be polished up and might need to be refined. Um, but your idea and your perspective still, uh, you know, if it caught your attention and was so, uh, so compelling to you, it will be to other people, it will be to other readers. Uh, so trust yourself and keep hammering away at that idea until it is the very best that it can be. Uh, and, and then release it to the wild, whether that's through uh, traditional publishing or, or self-publishing and see where it gets you. See if, if you want to take that route, I definitely had a great many rejections for my debut thriller, the missing sister and was told all of the things that I, I just shared with you. Um, but I, I was so insistent. I just knew that it was a story that I felt passionate about that I, I suspected others might find entertaining as well. And so I never, I never gave up on it. It took me five years, but I, um, I kept revising it, a constant, constant revision process. And I'm very happy with how it turned out. I think it's such an important point. And it's also getting publishers to understand, um, you know, that there might be a market that they're missing or there might be enough just number wise. I mean, in, in the United States, we have what, 320 million people and if 50,000 people read your book, <laughs> that's exciting right? or a hundred thousand or whatever. It's not that many people when you look at the whole population, mm-hmm. I realize not everyone's a reader and everything else, but, but there's so many opportunities to have niche conversations or to to reach out to specific audiences uh that I think we we we're now that's all the other thing that I'm noticing uh right now in marketing all over the place is you know very specific reaching out to you to say this is why you're going to like my book um uh you know while general audiences certainly are are there as well but i think that it used to be more general approach and i think now people are understanding no let's let's talk about the markets for this book let's talk about who will who will love this book and other people will enjoy it as well but who's going to love this book absolutely and i think acknowledging the interstitials and the ways in which we all overlap or have niche interests um is actually broader in certain ways than we might expect. I think recognizing that we have a capacity to to appreciate stories that don't directly reflect our own yes. um, is driving a lot of that change and uh, appreciation in the marketplace. So it's, it's uh, it all fuels itself, but I think a lot of our cultural and social shifts are also kind of um, affecting what's being published nowadays and also what a lot of people are writing. Which I think is a really exciting shift. I mean, it's an, it's an exciting opportunity to consider the whole instead of the specific narrow lens that we all saw the world through for so long of, you know, male, white, this, middle class, educated. But now it's like, oh, no, there's a lot of stories, but I can enjoy them all and and just, you know, relate to different characters. It, I, I, it's an exciting time. I, I really do think. Absolutely. I agree with that. Um, so you've been re- 
writing two books? Are you writing two books for a while? I mean, is this going to be going? So I'm leading up to the, you started writing romantic suspense. (laughs) Do you think that maybe at some point you may, you may go back, write a series or, or switch genres or is, are, are you staying here for a while? What do you, I know as writers, folks, keep challenging themselves. And I, and I, I, I hope readers appreciate that. Like you set it out, like, let me now play with different points of view, or let me add this character. Or, let me bring in this theme, or let me make it harder for myself as if writing a book isn't hard enough. Let me make this harder for myself. So where are you, where are you sort of seeing things as you're looking at yourself five years from now, or, or you know, or do you, are you just, trying to get these books written and, <laughs> and meet your contractual obligations, which isn't small. Right. <laughs> All good questions. I definitely think I love the thriller genre. So it would surprise me if I really deviated from that for too long. I really enjoy writing psychological thriller, which is what I've done to date. I very much enjoyed writing the straight thriller this year for Hyperion Avenue. Um, and so I might, I might continue down that path, um, but I hope that I would never deviate from the psych thrillers for too long. It's, it's, it's too much fun for me. I really enjoy it. I don't know what that says about me, <laughs> but I find it to be very entertaining and fun to write. That being said, um, as I said earlier, I have a ton of different ideas and some of them are not in the psych thriller genre. Um, I do have that romantic suspense manuscript that is just sitting on my, my virtual bookshelf waiting to be trotted out um at the right time side note there might never be a right time <laughs> it might just always sit um but i uh it was my very first book to your point and i learned how to write through refining that manuscript so i did enjoy it i just uh the romantic element i can i can write romantic elements in a book but having it be like uh, a significant portion of the book to where it is a romance slash suspense in equal parts. Uh, I find that very intimidating. I enjoy reading romance, but writing it, it's such a, there's such a craft and nuance to it. And I just haven't, I haven't dove in. I haven't uh, dedicated myself enough to really writing romance. So I'd be a little intimidated to, to resume refining and, uh, and eventually trying to sell that manuscript. We'll have to see, but I'm open to other genres. Long story short. Yeah. Uh, and, and what do you do to challenge yourself now? Uh, you know, you, as you said, psychological suspense and then, uh, a psychological thriller and then, uh, you know, a thriller without, <laughs> you know, um, you know, do you, are you playing with points of view or are you sort of, what, what are you doing to, to keep yourself engaged and excited? It's, it's a task each time. And now that I have, um, I'm finishing edits on my sixth book and truly when I began writing on my debut, rather I should say published in 2020, I didn't know if I would write more than three books. I just didn't know if I had it in me. It's a Mm -hmm. very daunting task to world build three standalones, let alone more than that. And so for me to have finished, uh, to be finishing edits on my sixth book is, um, very surreal. And I also want to, you know, give each story its due, which is to say, I I work very hard to not have like overlapping themes too overlapping. I work very hard to not have like repetitive occupations that my, my characters have. 
um, you know, to not have like repeat names. Like it's a lot of like matrix stuff in my head now. And so I have gotten very good at organizing. I have lots of spreadsheets, but um, I would want to continue writing and creating really unique worlds for the reader each time that they dive into one of my books. Um, So I'm hopeful to continue doing that. I don't know. It's hard to say where I would be five years from now. Well, I think that that's such a great way to lay out what you do that that is part of the foundation that I don't know that readers understand, Uh, you know, that creating separate worlds, you know more about your worlds than they'll ever see in the book because you need to know it, you, you know, and creating those separate characters and there's research, there's all of this. That's a lot of work. Um, a lot yeah. of work. <laughs> it is, and it's all so much fun. Uh, but it, it does. There's a, you know, people I don't think realize how much time goes into writing a book. I'm actually a very fast writer, and then I can knock out a pretty solid first draft in three months. I know a lot of other authors that uh, a book a year timeline, which is what I do, is very daunting and, and probably impossible with their their existing life priorities and their responsibilities. Um, so to shove all of that into a period of, let's say three months, uh, can be draining, but for me, it's always, and I think this is the key. It's always more fulfilling than it is draining. It's more life-giving than it is life-taking. Um, there's a scene in Sister Act 2, which I love to quote, uh, the movie Sister Act 2 with Whoopi Goldberg and Lauren Hill. And, uh, Lauren Hill is struggling with whether or not she wants to be a singer. And Whoopi Goldberg says to her a quote from someone else. Uh, if you wake up every morning and you think about singing, then you should be a singer. And I wake up every morning and I think about writing and whether or not that makes, that means I should be a writer. Um, I won't debate, but it's, it's always been there for me, that passion. And, uh, and it's something that I will continue to do even when, when I don't have a full manuscript or I don't have a book contract. It's just something that I really find joy in doing. Well, that's, such a gift of a statement that I don't know that we could top it. <laughs> um, uh, I, I think that that's what being a writer is, is, is continually having that passion. Being published is its own thing, but being a writer is, is waking up and, and wanting to write or thinking about writing or, or, you know, doing something. So we're all grateful that you wake up wanting to write. <laughs> Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I uh, I love writing for people and it's such a, a, a gift to know that people are consuming my words somewhere out there. Yeah. Elvis, thank you for such a great conversation. It was wonderful to have to have it and to meet you. Thank you for having me. It was so much fun. I'm uh I'm so glad to be part of Sisters in Crime and that uh, I look forward to seeing the podcast later on. All right. Thank you, Elle. Thank you. Bye, Joey. Bye. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.